Welcome to this sermon from Silver Lake Baptist Church. Our mission is to celebrate the greatness of God with all we are for the joy, hope, and renewal of our community. We are so glad you have chosen to listen to our message. We pray you will be blessed by your time with us today. Good morning again, everyone. Oh, there's some space over here. Where's Phil? There she is. Oh, thanks. It's plenty not to use them. I didn't want to show everybody I had the glasses, but that's all right. I look good in them, right? Now I can't see. All right. So I'll just keep doing this all day. All right. So I was wondering, do you ever have one of those weeks where everything went wrong? Is it just me? No. No, I don't think so. <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, those country songs. Truck broke down, dog ran off, neighbor's cousin Eddie parked his RV in the, in the, in the driveway next door. He's only staying for a couple months, right? <laughs> Girlfriend says, honey, we got to talk. That's, that's a bad week right there. <laughs> How about this? I was reading about a pastor and his family. They were on a missionary trip, and he was writing to a friend to illustrate what a bad week they had. Back when people actually wrote letters to people, just to make sure we're on the same page. Well, he wrote, while on a missionary deputation, one trip I'll never forget, traveling from a church in West Virginia, both, I gotta, it's hard, anyway. (laughs) Both Chris and John, our first two sons, got sick in the car, and neither of them made it to the window. Making a big mess, they did. We had to spend the night in a motel, causing us to miss our next meeting in Ohio. The next day, in Ohio, our radiator went out. And we had to stop and get that fixed. The next day, in our trip through Missouri, we thought, surely nothing else could happen. Well, it could, and it did. In Illinois, Illinois, we had a flat tire. We stopped, got it fixed. Indiana had another flat tire. So we stopped and got that one fixed. In eastern Missouri, another tire blew out. On the final leg of our trip, Susan, his wife, developed a high fever and flu symptoms. That was pre-COVID, of course. When we rolled into Kansas City, we looked and felt like a band of refugees who just traveled through a war zone. It was one of those times where Everything went wrong. I think we can all relate, right? Times in our life life like that when uh, everything goes wrong. We all tend to go through a storm now and then. That must have been how Paul felt. Here when we look at uh, Acts 21. I only have really two main points. So... And a few other ones, but uh, so let's make them count. <laughs> First, let's pray. Father, Lord, we just thank you again for this time together. We thank you for allowing your scripture to talk to us in ways that sometimes we never understand, but uh, one day we finally get it. Father, Lord, just thank you so very much for all that you've done for us, how you continue to do for us, and how you continue to supply for us. We thank you for the opportunity to help those who either don't understand these scriptures or those who might and just are leading a slightly askew life, Father. Just bless us as you have continually. Love us as you have continually. 
be with us forever as you promised. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So to understand what happened here, I need to review a little bit. A little background information for you. The Jerusalem church leaders had listened to false rumors that Paul was encouraging Jewish Christians not to follow the Old Testament law, as long as it was understood that following the law was not tied to salvation. And as long as the Gentiles were not expected to follow the ceremonial and dietary requirements of the law. Paul didn't care if the Jews continued in the uh, law or not. What he cared about, though, was when that was upsetting him the most was a growing rift, a little break between the Jewish and Gentile believers. He did everything he could not to offend the Jews and even looked for ways to extend an olive branch all, um, <clears throat> to them when he uh, heard about the famine in Jerusalem. He challenged all the, the churches he had founded. Remember on his, you know, his missionary trips, he gathered all this extra money for them and uh, he wanted to help them, show them that, hey, you know, we care about you as well. Here in Acts 21, Paul has to come to Jerusalem to give a, a report, basically, on what was going on and how his work amongst the Gentiles was going. And uh, you know all the places he stopped, and all the uh, established churches. So we're going to pick up the story here in verse 17. And when he had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders who or were represented, or present, sorry. Verse 19, when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So they were received gladly. All right, everything's great. Sun is shining, birds are chirping. All is well. They're going to have a great time together. Drinking, smoking, no, not doing that kind of stuff. No, Paul told them all about how the Lord had accomplished through his ministry to the Gentiles, detailing all his experiences one by one. That must have been a stirring, inspiring missionary report to anyone with an ounce of interest in seeing people come to Christ. That would have been great. Like a revival. Oh, man, jacked up. You're excited. In the book I read, well, part of the little book, I found a commentary uh, called Exploring Acts. One commentator describes what the report must have been like. He wrote, Paul no doubt told of his first visit to Galatia and told the thrilling story of the three missionary journeys. The names rolled off his tongue like a roll call of nations. Salamis, Paphos, Perga, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Philippi, Thessalonica, I knew I was going to mess it up. I always do. Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. And not just places, but people, thousands and thousands upon people who were saved by faith. And not only the places, but the anecdotes, stories of prison and persecution, stories of Mars Hill, preaching stories of miracles and magicians and mighty movements of the Spirit. Never had these Jerusalem Christians with their narrow Parochial, parochial interests heard the like, he said. So, what kind of reception did Paul receive for this stirring missionary report? Let's see. Verse 20 says, And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. 
I would be. I mean, wow, that's a great story. And they said to him, you see, brother, and you see, brother, how many myriad of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Okay. (laughs) Verse 20 says, going back to it, it says, that when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. But notice the next word. And. That word and, it spoils the whole thing. It's like the word but. It always gets in the way. Here comes the clouds. The wind is picking up. Something's about to happen. No sooner had they gotten the niceties out of the way, they launched into attack. They attacked Paul's ministry and his methods. They belittled Paul's ministry by talking about their own converts in Jerusalem. You see, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are who believe, and they are all zealous for the law. Like Paul's buddies aren't. They don't care about them. This is like a slap in the face. Thousands of Thousands saved in Asia among the Gentiles. That's nothing, they said. We have thousands saved right here in Jerusalem. And they added, unlike your disciples, they're all zealous for the law. Oh, thank you. Imagine how Paul must have felt felt then. He had done everything he could to mend fences with the Jewish believers. He had taken up a great sum of money to give to them. He had just reported the indisputable workings of God in his ministry. They didn't even mention the Gentile churches all around, the sacrificial gift, oh, thank you for that, showing not the least bit of gratefulness for their sacrifice, nor Paul's part in it. They denigrated, I had to look that word up just to make sure I was spelling it right, Paul's work and criticized him because he didn't do dot his I's or crosses T's just right. Well, that wasn't the only thing that went wrong for Paul. Remember, this is a bad week. Verse 23, Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. Verse 25 says, But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things that are strangled, strangled, and from sexual immorality. (laughs) Okay. Now what? Verse 26 says, Then Paul took the men the next day and have been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. You see, the purpose of this scheme right here was to show that Paul was a pro-Judaistic Christian. Basically, he's pro-Jew. He's one of them. He stands with them. Though Paul knew that this was kind of silly. He was trying to be peacemaker, so he did it. 
So in hopes of bridging that gap between the misunderstanding he went uh, through with it, unfortunately, that led to cascading series of mishaps that sound strangely like one of those bad weeks we have from time to time. One of those storms that build into a much larger one. Verse 27. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help this is the man who teaches all all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. See, what happened was a total misunderstanding. Have you ever been misunderstood at all? It's terrible feeling, right? When someone takes what you've said and done and misunderstands or misrepresents it. Let me read a little illustration for you. There was once an assistant pastor telling a man that my family came before the church in my priorities. That's the words he said. Not my time, but my priorities. The church secretary completely uh, misrepresented what he had said when she spoke to the pastor, saying he was not putting his hours of work and visitation. The assistant pastor clarified what he had meant and showed him his visitation records, proving to to him that he had more visitation hours than anyone else in the church. But it hurt him that he had so totally been misunderstood. His words were misrepresented. They were meant, they meant something totally different. I think we've all experienced that, right? We understood how, we understand now how Paul must have felt. He had gone through all this expense and trouble to satisfy the Jewish believers, so Paul must have thought, okay, I've done all this, now maybe we can get along and love one another. Nope. So he did this temple ceremony, but then some people recognized Paul coming out of the temple with these four men and, and agreed to participate with Paul. That had agreed to participate with Paul. They had seen Paul with uh, some Gentiles earlier in the day, and immediately jumped to conclusions that the four men who came out with Paul were the same Gentiles they had uh, seen before, and they had taken them into their inner courts of the temple. Something strictly forbidden for any non-Jew that would go in there was the penalty of death. I can just picture this. Paul, as a mob, forms quickly. He thinks to himself, this just isn't my week. (laughs) Unfortunately, the worst is still yet to come. Verse 30. And all the city was disturbed. All the city was disturbed. (laughs) And the people ran together. Remember, this is Jerusalem seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took the soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander of the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Now Paul, his bad week just got worse. The mob is beating him, beating him to a pulp. 
A local Roman captain, hearing about the disturbance, immediately sends a detachment of soldiers and centurions looking to see what was going on. As the soldiers arrived, those beatings, Paul made a run, they, as they were beating Paul, and they saw him, they made a run for it. It was like a scene out of cops. Oh, shoot, the fuzz, let's get out of here. Thank goodness that Paul thought, now my week will improve. Unfortunately not. <laughs> for instead of uh, arresting the perpetrators, yeah, perpetrators, beating, they arrested the victim. Never heard that before. Verse 33. When the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and asked who he was and what he had done, even after all, he had been arrested and they were still after him. Utter chaos was going on. Verse 34. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when, the, when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, them, after him, crying out, away with him. <laughs> could it possibly get any worse? It could, and it did. For not only was Paul arrested for a crime he didn't commit, he was suddenly he suddenly discovered that he was the victim of mistaken identity. I'm going to jump a little bit farther than we normally do. Uh, verse 37 and 38 says, Paul, Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, May I speak to you? He replied, Can you speak Greek? 38 says, Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Wait, what? <laughs> I did what? It's like my cousin Vinny moment. I shot the clerk. <laughs> what a terrible week. Now everything we know in scriptures are written for our learning, right? So what can we learn from Paul's week when everything went wrong? When that storm came and uh, will come. Lessons, from Paul, lessons learned from Paul's bad week. I see three main lessons from Paul's bad week. The first is, don't let the failures of Christians hinder your spiritual growth. I think I would have been devastated, disheartened, and disillusioned if I had done all those things to accommodate and help the Jerusalem believers, only to be rebuffed. And insulted in the way that Paul was by them. But you'll read in vain, if you continue reading Paul's work, the rest of Acts and Paul's letter to find and Paul's letters to find so much as a hint of resentment for what he had done. Little anger, very little bitterness. To me this is nothing short of amazing. I mean, people would be generally ticked off. Paul wasn't. And later when Paul was sent to Rome, uh, to Rome as a prisoner. Instead of being gladly received by the brethren there, for the most part, he was shunned. According to the book of Philippians, and some spread lies about him to undermine his authority, yet, as you read in the book of Philippians, you'll find that he writes with joy and rejoicing, literally dripping off of his pen. 
How was Paul able to be unaffected by the failure of other Christians? What was his secret? Two things. A, Paul was not preoccupied with people, but with pr- the promotion of the gospel. Philippians 1.18, writing from his cell in Rome, in, or Rome, in Rome, Paul considered his situation and says, What then? Only that I every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He didn't care if the Christian preachers lied about him or told the truth about him. As long as the gospel went forth, that was what he cared about. I've seen it time and time again when the, a person or a church becomes more focused on itself rather than thinking about the personal feelings of the person that they're hurting. Personal feelings instead of evangelism. Then what happens? Strife, disagreements, relationship problems. All of that starts to happen. The best weapon against discord in, is an emphasis on evangelism. Paul was so absorbed with reaching people with the gospel that he simply didn't have time to be messing with hurt feelings or disappointments with Christians' petty unlike or unchristian-like attitudes and actions. And B, Paul focused not on Christians but on Christ. He said in Philippians 1.21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever used a 35 millimeter camera? <laughs> if you look in the lens, it can only focus either on the foreground or the background, unless you use a special setting or a lens. If you focus, say, on the, the field, the flower immediately becomes blurry. If you focus on the flower, the field behind it gets blurry, slightly out of focus. Or is that just me? I just don't know how to use a camera. <laughs> the truth is, your Christian life, if you focus on people and their faults and failures, Jesus will get out of focus. But if you focus on Jesus and really live just to please Him and let Him become the source of your joy and peace and fulfillment in life, then the people and their faults and sins and inconsistencies just fade into the background. So, lesson one was from Paul's bad weeks. Bad week, don't let the failures of Christians hinder you. Lesson two is that God has a larger purpose in things that go wrong. As Paul sat in a Jerusalem prison reviewing his bad week, so we're counting things that happened to him, he didn't know what God was up to. Paul's ministry had been in the Greek provinces, but the center of power was Rome. There was a saying that all roads lead to Rome. Well, that's true. That means all the roads that lead out of Rome go somewhere else. (laughs) What an opportunity, though. If a great soul-winning station could be organized right there in the center of Rome, the civilized world itself, From from there the gospel could go out to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. Well, Paul didn't know it, but God was working things out for him to receive a free, all expenses paid, trip to Rome. Compliments of the Roman government. (laughs) But he wouldn't get there the way he 
would have planned it. God had a bigger idea. Paul had long wanted to go to preach to the church already established in Rome. He said in Romans 1.13, Now I do not want to be unaware, want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Romans 15, 1.15 says, So as much as, as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. See, he wanted to go there. Oh, so badly. Watch out what you ask for. But he was not to go as a preacher, but as a prisoner. That may seem to us unfortunate, but actually it was a good thing. And here's why. I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1. From Paul's jail cell, but guess where in Rome that jail cell was? Note this, Philippians 1, start with verse 12. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have become confident by my chains are much more bold to speak the word without fear. See, Paul said that his bondage was well known in the palace. Bible scholars, and me too, believe that Paul, Paul's case was so special and his position so important that he was imprisoned in Caesar's own palace. Now, if you know anything about Rome, Caesar has his palace and many other houses around. But generally, most regular prisoners aren't going to be in the palace. They're going to be in a other couple jails around the place, nowhere near Caesar. From this vantage point, Paul began to witness, and pretty soon he had a band of believers right there in Caesar's own palace. No, I'm not talking about the one in Vegas, but that one could be used too. But in the Caesar's palace, they were becoming bold, speaking the word without fear, right in the palace itself. Of course, now we talk about Paul and his ministries and stuff. Some scholars believe that he died in Rome and went, but some believe that he went to Gaul and ministered there. One thing's for sure, a beachhead, I like that word, a beachhead, was established in the heart of the Roman pagans. And the fact that repercussions throughout the centuries because of this. And it all began with a bad week in Paul's life. Listen, if we all knew what God was trying to do through our troubles and trials in our lives, we wouldn't go complain about it when we go through them. The third lesson is this. God often uses bad people to accomplish his larger purposes. He uses, or here God uses judgmental Jewish Christians. I like saying it this way. Rabble-rousing lost Jews <laughs> and pagan Roman soldiers to carry out his plans. I've been always wanting to use that. Later in Acts, we'll see how God used wicked governors and kings and various other rulers to get Paul to Rome, but we'll talk about that later. All of God's purposes were accomplished by bad Christians, lost Jews, or outright pagans. I wonder, is there someone who has done or is doing bad things to you in your life? That person may indeed be evil or ungodly or just plain stupid, but be assured that God 
will use their bad accomplishments for good for you. But you've got to believe it. For Paul says in Romans 8, 28, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to His purposes. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? When the storm comes, when you have a bad week or a bad experience or a bad relationship, don't give up. Hold your head up. Don't get discouraged. See, all you see is one little piece to the puzzle. But God says he's that big, finished picture. Paul could have been discouraged in his cell that day in Jerusalem. I don't know if he was, but could you hardly blame him if he was? Two years later, he was in a different cell in a different city, doing more from that little cell in Rome than he ever did traveling through the Greek cities. So when you have a bad week or a bad experience, remember these three things. I like breaking things down for you. It's really easy for me to remember. Don't focus your eyes on people. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Looking into Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 1, or 12, 2 says. Second, remember that God has a larger purpose in your trials and troubles. Cooperate with Him. Remain steadfast and faithful. Don't quit or give up. Paul says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Galatians 6.9 And finally, remember that God, God's instruments to accomplish His purpose are often people, sometimes even evil people. Don't resist God's tools in your life. Submit to God's work and let God finish the final picture. A wonderful mosaic of his power. I was looking at the puzzle that my grandmother and, or my mother-in-law and the kids were doing. I looked at it and said this word to myself, a mosaic of his power and grace is this. You know what an eagle does when the storm is coming? When the eagle flies to a high spot, he waits for the winds to arrive. When the storm hits, the eagle will move its wings, spreads them out, so the wind will pick it up and lift it above the storm. While the storm rages below, the eagle soars above. The eagle doesn't escape the storm. It simply uses the storm to lift it higher. When the storm comes of our life, when the storms of our life come upon us, rise above them. Let the winds that bring trouble into our lives lift us higher. We can overcome that storm, that bad week, simply a bad day. Isaiah forty thirty one, one of my favorite verses. But those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Don't give in to it. Don't let the bad things that happen to you hinder you, stop you. You're a child of God. That's all that matters. Granted, we have to let him work. We don't need to be interfering with his work. He knows what he's doing. Been doing it for thousands of years. One little day, one little week isn't going to be a bad thing. It'll be good. Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you for this time together. 
We just thank you for your word and how, again, we can take it, get some understanding out of it, even though we didn't know it. Father, thank you for blessing us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for dying on that cross and raising against on the third day so it can prove the fact that we have a true Savior amongst us. Father, be with us always. Live in our lives as we can trust in you and guide us for the rest of it. Bless us always in Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, check out our website at www. Dot silverlakebaptist.org